Just because a flower is old doesn't mean it's lost its bloom. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How are things in Indiana? Well, we are recording this. It is early June now. Yep. So, um, everything's planted. I'm now watching seedlings come up. I've got some thinning in my future. We've gotten quite a bit of rain recently. Strawberries have been picking those, been picking pea pods. And I think I saw my first lightning bug. You did? I don't know that I've looked for lightning bugs yet. I need to look for fireflies. Um, it's raining here too. So I will have to confess that it was on the window. It wasn't flying around light, lighted up, lit up. It was on the window, and I just recognized it. They don't look like much in the daytime. No. They just like, look like little beetles, but boy, at night, they're a lot of fun. Um, so in my garden, it's been raining, and I think today we might not get rain, maybe. I don't know. We have The middle part of the country has stolen all of the rain from the rest of the United States. Um, but I'm willing to let them have some now. How about you? Well, yeah, as long as I get, you know, what I want every week. But so far, we had a little bit of rain this morning, but it looks like the sun's trying to come out. So we'll see. Well, it's cloudy here again, and I need to pick, I need to go and check my beehives. And you don't want to check it on a cloudy day. You want to know why? Because the bees are in there? Exactly. All of the foragers, which are the grouchiest of the little bees, um, because they're the older ladies, and I don't know, maybe they're going through a midlife crisis. I'm not sure. But anyway, they're grouchy, they're home, and it's a lot harder. So I need that sun to come out. In the meantime, I picked a mess of snow peas in the garden in the last few days, and I made beef and snow peas last night from Pioneer Woman's Recipe, and I shared about it on my Instagram story, which you guys won't see on Wednesday because, well, it'll be gone, and also on Facebook. But what I could do is post those pictures to the Garden Angelus page. So I'll try to do that. And then I also have some Cubanelle peppers that are all producing. Wow, that's pretty and good. I, it's a little early, and the reason it's early is because they're in containers because they heat up faster and drainage is better, all that kind of stuff, and really good fertile soil. And then um, I want to learn how to make gluten-free chili rellenos. I haven't had one since I went gluten-free 13 years ago. And let's see what else. I'll, I'll leave the rest of this for um, my garden commission. Very good. I'm going to go ahead then and start us off with a quote. Flowers have an expression of countenance as much as men or animals. Some seem to smile. Some have a sad expression. Some are pensive and diffident. Others, again, are plain, honest, and upright, like the broad-faced sunflower and the hollyhock. Henry Ward Beecher. That's a mouthful. <laughs> that was kind of a hard quote to say. So I picked that one out. So sorry about that. But I did love that he mentioned hollyhocks. That's our flower this week is the hollyhocks. So 
Do you have hollyhocks in your garden right now? I do. I do not. I do have hollyhocks. I do not. You do not? No. I put mine in the cutting garden, and this year I actually bought plants because, as we both know, hollyhocks are a biennial. So if you just start the seeds outdoors, they have to grow for a whole year, and then they bloom the second year. Whereas if you start seeds indoors, they might bloom at the end of the year. They might get enough gumption to go ahead and bloom, but not always. So I buy plants a lot. Yeah, buy the plants and then you get the blooms. And then I have found, even though I currently don't have any, they will self-sow and you kind of get them going Mm -hmm. sort of in a a garden that you're willing to let go a little bit on the wild side and they'll just keep growing and you'll have a few hollyhocks every year. So I'm not in love with them. I don't hate them. Yeah. I, I I do not like the double flowering ones. Well, I think the double flowering ones are quite pretty, but they don't do a thing for your pollinators. No. So I don't plant them. And in rainy weather like this, I feel like the double flower ones just become like a mush of petals, like tissue paper that's gotten wet. Yeah, I can see that. So, um, and since it's rainy this summer, there you go. So I wanted to say that um, doing them from plants is a lot easier And so that's what I always suggest to people. Also, they used to be known as plants that you put up against your barn. And it was because of what you said. You know, it's an area that you don't mess with much. Right, right. And so people used to plant them out by the barn. For one thing, they look good against a surface. Right. Right. You You aren't as likely to have to stake them if they're up against a surface. And mine are out in the middle of the garden. So I may have to stake mine this year because they get top heavy sometimes. And they fall over. Right. And I think it was the writer, Henry Mitchell, that wrote many essays on gardening for the Washington Post, I think, back in the 80s, maybe? 80s? Uh-huh. He wrote that, um, thought that hollyhocks, I think, attracted lightning storms because as soon as those flowers were tall and looking at their very best, you were bound <laughs> to have a big yeah. storm blow in and wa- knock them all down. It's like it attracted them. That this flowers attracted yeah. the storm. And so you went and looked at a bunch of different hollyhocks. I did. And you looked at all American selections of hollyhocks. I did. And I was amazed because all American selections, I think, goes back to the 1920. And so what was interesting is there were two, one from 1939 called Indian Spring and one from 1949 called Indian Summer. I don't think they had pictures of them. And then I've grown Indian, I think I've grown Indian summer, which is, I want to say it's a selection of seeds in a range of colors, but I could be wrong. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And then, then it hops from 1949. It's like somebody got interested in the seventies and there's silver puffs from 1971, summer carnival from 1972 and majorette from 1976. Yeah. So some hybridizer got into them. And produce some. And then ever, maybe other hybridizers also did the same thing because they tend to do that. Like right now, we're still in a big echinacea boom. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, there's so many echinaceas out there in so many colors. I was kind of excited about Queenie Purple. Did you know about it? Queenie Purple. I did not. So I thought that was kind of cool. Because it's, it's, it's a single flower, isn't it? 
I'm looking at back up. Yeah, no, it's a double. Oh, well, you don't want it. But it's a really, really pretty double. You don't want it. It's not going to be good for the bees. Unless, well, I'm looking it up to really look at it. No, it's a semi-double is what I would say. And it's shorter. And it's actually an annual. So it's one of those ones that you could start the seeds this year and get blooms by the end of the year. Okay. Then we'll look. Because some of them have a shorter, they like have a shorter deal. And it won, it won the AAS flower winner in 2004, which is pretty great. That is pretty so, great. It's cute. It's kind of a cute flower. And also you talked about, uh, we wrote down about French hollyhocks. And there's been a real resurgence on Facebook in a couple of gardening groups I'm in about French hollyhocks. People find them in their gardens and they're like from their grandmothers or their aunts. And then they're like, what are these beautiful flowers? Because they are beautiful. They're a a white and purple striped flower and they're on a more delicate stem. And I've grown them a lot. Have you grown them? I have not grown French hollyhocks. I am not a big hollyhock Well, they're really pretty. I'm just not. Well, they are really pretty and they don't tend to get rust like other hollyhocks do. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons people don't like hollyhocks is that ugly rust that they get. Right. And then some people, you talk about growing them against a barn. Back when they had outhouses, they used to call hollyhocks outhouse flowers because they would grow them around the outhouse. Yeah, because that's someplace that, you know, you want to deflect attention to and attention from, I guess. So, so well, that's cool. Well, this is an interesting, actually an interesting topic. Yeah. So here's the thing. So if you want to attract attention away from something do you plant it all with pretty flowers all around it no (laughs) well maybe instead you were trying to divert people's attention from the smell to the flowers i don't i don't know either i'd never think of hollyhocks as having a big (laughs) scent i just kind of laugh because um planting big flowers all around something's drawing attention to it not away from it yeah, I mean, I th- I was saying that I think maybe they would like to look at the flowers instead of smelling the outhouse, but you're right. They don't have a lot of scent. I don't know if they have any scent at all. Never noticed. So you've got a good point. Maybe not plant them around the outhouse. Maybe they just wanted to beautify it. I don't know. We don't have outhouses now, thank goodness. Well, the thing is, when I think about hollyhocks, I think of them as an old-fashioned flower. And so I did find mm-hmm. a really nice blog post by Mark Dwyer on the All-America Selections, and we'll link to it. But he talks about how you can grow history by choosing varieties that would have been grown by your grandmother or even your great-grandmother. And so I was like, well, D, what decade would you choose if you were going to say, I'm going to grow a flower garden and I'm only going to have flowers that were in this decade? What, which one would you choose? Well, I wouldn't choose the 50s. I think the 50s era was really not my favorite. I would probably choose either the late 1800s or I would choose um, the 1930s because I think there was a lot of interesting flowers in both those decades. I would agree. My first choice would probably be the 1930s because I could think about my grandmother's both of my grandmothers gardening in the 30s. They they both one was in a city, one was in the country, but I can think of them in the right. in the 30s having having a lot of uh, flowers growing. So I would pick the 30s, um, and I think those varieties are still around. I think if you go too far back, you might have trouble finding a which varieties existed in that decade without 
like with all America selections, they go back to the 20s. So you can do a search and you can find plants from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. But I think the late 1800s, you're going to have to get old seed catalogs. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, one thing I was going to say is that I think even if I did plan to do a garden that was from a particular decade, I probably wouldn't choose just seeds from that decade. I'd probably do very similar to what I do now because there have been improvements. So we now have hollyhocks that don't get rust as bad, for example. I know, but that's not the point. I know that's how the you feel about it. The point is the variety. <laughs> so it wouldn't be pure, and I would just I would come and I'd say, "D, you've cheated." I always cheat, Carol. I am not a purist. I told that to my friend not too long ago. I was like, "I'm not a purist. I'm not a purist about natives. I'm not a purist about cultivars. I just grow what works, because this is a hard place to grow." Shall we do our quote? We should do the next quote. Every gardener learns there is a time to sow, a time to reap, a time to rest, and sometimes a time to plow it up. That's by Carol Michael, and it's one of my favorite quotes by you. Thank you. Um, I, I, I found that. I had written that somewhere, but I've not written it on my blog, and I have searched all over the Internet for that to see if I read that somewhere. I can't find it, so I'm going to go ahead and claim it. I'm going to write a blog post about it. That's awesome. So, you know, it's based on Ecclesiastes, but the part that makes it funny is the time to plow it up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I am, and thankfully this year, I do not feel like my garden needs to be plowed up. And I hope you don't either. Nature's plowing your garden for you. Yeah. Over and over and over. <laughs> ice. Let's see, there was the ice storm. The snowstorm. There was the... <laughs> Frigid cold. Yeah. There was the four inches of rain in like an hour seconds. And a, an hour and a half, yeah. My an paths still aren't so, finished. Yeah, I know. Well, you know what? It still looks really good. So I think I think that gardens are much more resilient than we give them credit for unless you just put a landscape of Indian hawthorns in. If you do that, then your garden's still looking bad and you need to dig those up. But I digress. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about nasturtiums. Nasturtiums, which we've decided to talk about that in the veggie garden because they are edible. And we have talked about them before. We have. But I went right back to All America Selections, and I was shocked. At how many? That there are, <laughs> there are three varieties from the 1930s that were All American Selections in nasturtiums. Scarlet Gleam, Golden Gleam, and Golden Glove. Right, and then nothing for a really long time. Until 2019. And that's the year they, they gave AAS to Baby Rose, and then in 2020 they gave it to Tip Top Rose. And I have grown Baby Rose, and I may have grown Tip Top Rose. They were, yeah, I know I did. They were really, really fun. Both of them were great nasturtiums. They kind of stayed in their place. They weren't the kind that, like Alaska, that weave in through things or dangle outside a basket or whatever. These these kind of stay in their little spot, and they bloom like crazy. So if you want a tiny, you know, small nasturtium plant, these are a good one to grow. And um, you, note, you noted that you should just direct sow them. I've done them both ways. I feel like direct sowing is better because they say they don't like to be moved, but the tricky thing about them is they really need to be frost-free. So when they come up, the frost should be over. Which isn't always easy and to predict. 
No. And so because they don't really like to have their roots disturbed, what you can do is what I'm doing with my sunflowers. I'm growing them in little um, peat pots or you can get some that are made out of cow manure. You could just get newspaper pots. Right, or core. And then I'll just plunk that whole thing in the mm-hmm. ground. But I I lose those sunflower seeds in the garden sometimes. So I'm just going to, I planted them. They popped up within two days. So now I can put them where I want them. But on the nasturtiums, I have tried to like sow them and then plant them. And somehow it just never goes well. So I have direct sowed an entire row. And I went out there this morning and they look pretty good. They're all coming up. I love their leaves. I love the little, the shape of their leaves. And um, if I'm remembering right, on Tip Top Rose and Baby Rose, their leaves are kind of blue. I know that on Empress of India, the leaves are kind of a blue color. And then they have that bright red bloom. And so they are really, really pretty. Um, but, you know, the, the green is pretty too. And then Alaska is variegated. And that's also pretty. I have Alaska and I can't remember the other one. And... Um... I should have mixed the seeds when I planted the row because I just planted one long row, but I don't think I did. So I'll have half of them will be Alaska, and then the other half of that row will be the, whatever the other thing was. See, I think that'll be interesting. I think that'll be cool. So I'm excited to see your nasturtiums. You can send me a picture, and I'll post it on our Well, the, there won't media. be a picture for a while. They're little tiny seedlings right at the moment. Well, little I know. I know. I meant later, and then we could just refer uh, okay. back to this episode. So um, they they aren't the easiest thing to grow. I always plant the seed, usually direct sow. I don't usually start them indoors. Um, but I direct sow them outside, usually the last week of February, and that works here in my raised beds. But sometimes they do get bit by frost. So I do think my concrete walls of the potager retain some heat, which I think helps them too. Yeah. It, they're a little complicated, but they're delicious, and they're kind of peppery. Right. And so in Jessica Wallacer's book that came out this year, Plant Partners, I'm pretty sure she recommended planting them with squash to help keep squash bugs away. And so we would assume that the squash bugs don't like the pepperiness of the nasturtiums, but we haven't asked the squash bugs. We don't know for sure, but her book is very (laughs) science-based, so somebody did some studies. So my big row of nasturtiums is in the same bed with the squash, where I planted the squash. And I remember re- remember thinking that when I read Plant Partners, and by the time our squash is being bothered by squash bugs, the nasturtiums are burned up. So here, that wouldn't work, but it would work someplace up north like you guys, yep. which is awesome. Yep, up here by the North Pole, ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Not that far north. So, so are we done talking about nasturtiums? Yeah, I think we are done talking about nasturtiums. We sort of told people, yeah, they're a little bit tricky, but grow them and blah, blah, blah. We, we're done. Some years they work real well, some years, like this year where we've had that long, cool spring, both of us, then they work really well. And some years we have hot, hot, hot early and they don't work so well. That's just how nasturtiums are. But they are worth growing and they're really an attractive plant and they look good in the vegetable garden, I think. I do too. All right, I'm going to do our next quote. Go for it. What is one to say about June, the time of perfect young summer, the fulfillment of the promise of the earlier months, and with as yet no sign to remind one that its fresh young beauty will ever fade? Gertrude Jekyll. Beautifully said, Gertrude. And I'm just going to point out Gertrude Jekyll was from the UK, 
And June is like usually their best month of the year in flowers. I would and stuff. And here is it your best month? You know what? It's an awfully good month. It doesn't um I mean May is good because we have all the lilacs and the peonies um and some other flowers. But June is also good. That's when the coneflowers start to bloom, the first of the daylilies, the roses have a big flush on them. So June has its merits too. Yeah. And it's going to get hot here, people. So if you haven't figured out how to water yet, you need to do that. Um, so what's our bookshelf? On the bookshelf is a book called All About Flowers, James Vick's 19th Century Seed Company by Thomas Mickey. And I saw this book and got a review copy. It's from Swallow Press Book, um, University, Ohio University Press. And we both know Thomas, right. Thomas J. Mickey. But he wrote this little biography, and it's sort of a history of this uh, James Vick Seed Company in Rochester, New York. And yes. what I really liked about it was it just really got me thinking about how in the 1800s, after the Civil War, going into the early 1900s, people's attentions turned from just um, being completely utilitarian about flowers. I mean, yeah, flowers and vegetables and stuff. And people started to grow more flowers. And James Vick was famous for introducing a lot of different flowers for people. But he wrote seed catalogs that had such extensive instructions that people saved them as almost, you know, like books in their library. Because he would wanted to make sure that people had the best chance of success. And so this is a really nice book if you're interested in the history of that time period and how it relates to the, the gardening. Uh-huh. So this is after the Civil War, and what you're talking about brings up something that made me think of something else. I am still reading The Well-Garden Mind because I've had to read it slowly, okay? Yeah. There is a section in it that is probably my favorite section, and it's about World War One, And it's about the soldiers in the trenches having gardens. Yes. Do you remember that section? And that's what this reminds me of, that need... Because the gardens in the trenches were not just for utilitarian food items. They were actually for beauty. And mothers and sisters sent seeds to their young soldiers so that they could grow these gardens because they were stuck in the trenches for long periods of time. And then sometimes people would take them over. Like if if the English happened to be overrun by somebody, then the then the Germans took them over. And then if they pushed them back, then the English kept them up. And I think it goes back to what you said about Thomas's book, which is after the Civil War, people needed beauty. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's why they turned to more flower gardening after the Civil War, because it was just so devastating. Right. And the other thing that happened after the Civil War is you start to see people moving out of the country and into the cities as the industrial age begins. And so now people have uh, the need to add beauty to their suburban lot, and they had the the means and the free time. It's like 24 hours a day was not invested in keeping yourself sustained. Alive. Yeah. Yeah. You, you now had time to invest in the garden, and so people started to plant flowers in their gardens. Yeah. It didn't take as long, to, and also it didn't take as long to do housework. Nope. Because people started to have stuff to help them do housework. And it was a very interesting time of change. And I think people missed beauty. And so this James Vick really supplied a need. Yes. 
Yeah, he was a pioneer in the seed industry. The other thing I was going to say cool. about World War One. So now, yes. So we're going to put we're going to put back a link to Well Garden Mind, and then it's a great book, and I've I've really been reading it slowly because. It makes me think about a lot of different things, and it really ties into so many of the other books we've read. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I think I'm going to have to go back and start rereading The Well Garden Mind. But I was going to tell you, if you want a just a historical novel, The Kew Gardens Girl Girls uh, by Posey. I'll have to look at that to who it's by. Um, right. That it takes place in World I War I. I can tell you because I have your newsletter right here, and you talked about it in your newsletter. Posey it's Le- by Posey Lo- Lavelle. Yes. And, or Lovell. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes place in World War One, and also um, has ties to, world, uh, to the war and soldiers. And there's a really interesting twist, and I would like to tell you about it, but I'm afraid it's like a, a spoiler. But ha- yeah, don't give a spoiler. But it relates to the gardens and and how important flowers and having gardens were to people in the trenches and outside of the trenches. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, that's really cool. Well, I'm going to read it now, so I'm getting ready to buy it on you know buy it on my device. I won't go into which device, but okay, everybody knows. All right, so so do we have anything else to say about Thomas's book? Do no. you want to repeat the title? All About Flowers, James Vick's 19th Century Seed Company by Thomas J. Mickey. Great one if you're into the history of gardening, which we are. I mean, really and truly, it's our favorite topic. I'll be honest. Gardening. Okay, so. Gardening and gardening. Yeah. And gardening. And gardening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our dirt is also about history. Oh, yeah, the dirt. Oh, my gosh, I almost forgot the dirt. I ran across this this spring, and we've been saving this dirt for a while. The Cotting- we have. The Cottingley Fairies in the U.K. <laughs> so an absolutely nutty time of history, it, I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, so these two little girls <laughs> borrowed their father's camera, and they went out down in the bottom of the garden by a creek, and they took pictures with garden fairies in them, and they claimed that they were real fairies. And this was like um, 1918, 19, I forget what year, somewhere in there. Um, it was first published in 1970. It was a 19, I'm 1917, I said it wrong, 1917. And it started out as a poem. Right. That they, I don't even think they, meant for it to become the thing it became. Well, what happened was, so they took the pictures and they claimed they were real. And then there were people like... The the fairies, not the pictures. Yes. The pictures were real. The fairies were so not real. They were like, they had drawn them and cut them out. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle of Sherlock Holmes mystery fame convinced himself... (laughs) That these were real, and he actually wrote a book called The Cottingly Fairies that I read part of it. And <laughs> he was in, I think he was in Australia at the time. Anyway, he had people going and investigating it, and he had photographers looking at the pictures to see if they could be possibly faked. And for some reason, yes. the man was nuts and convinced himself they were real. And I think the girls had no idea what to do. They were young. At the time, and so they kind of... They were teenagers. They went along with it, and finally, 
Finally, the two women in the 1980s confessed that they weren't, it was a hoax, which everybody with any could look at them and see anyway. <laughs> so we're going to link to the UK, the history page of the UK, because I'm laughing because I'm looking at it right now. It's Historic UK. And it is so obvious that these fairies are not real. But it's just that thing where people were so devastated by the First World War that they wanted to believe in something. But Carol, here's the thing. No garden fairy worth his or her salt would let you photograph her. Oh, heavens no. Would they? No. They don't want to be photographed. They are camera shy. So this was silly. And if I remember right, uh, the magician, the famous magician, um... It starts with an H, but I can't think of his name now. Houdini. It's written Houdini. in my notes. Houdini. Okay, so Houdini. This is also a time period where people were big on seances. There are still people big on seances. You can watch a show about it on Netflix. But Houdini. Uh, okay, so Arthur Conan Doyle was big into seances too, and he lost his son in the war. And this is the sad part of it. And he, they just wanted something really lovely to believe in. And Houdini got so upset about all of it that he spent the rest of his life trying to disprove all of that stuff, the seance stuff, everything. And he was like, I think he wrote Arthur Conan Doyle and was like, dude, those aren't real pictures of fairies. But you know what? People were still arguing about it up into the 1960s. And if you look at these pictures, it's really obvious. Yes, it is really obvious. So anyway, that's our dirt, just something interesting that I ran into and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And it, it, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny, but it'll take you down a rabbit hole of weirdness. <laughs> of stuff. What are you going to do in your garden this week, Dee? Okay, so I need to cut back a few asters I missed because they're covering up the daylilies. And I need to start deadheading my daylilies. You have to do that every day if you want to look neat. Um, the yard guys who help Bill mow are supposed to come fix my fix my paths today. I hope they do cuz it's really hard to walk around down there in the garden. I bet. And then I have I have green tomatoes and I have peppers. Life is good. Oh, and I had green onions last night. Very nice. Life is good. I have green onions that I can pull. Um my tomatoes and peppers are nowhere near producing. But, you know, well, I yeah. I do have shelling peas and I will probably be picking those later this week and shelling those out. Um, which is wonderful because some years aren't very good yeah. for shelling peas. So, and everything is coming up. I got a lot of weeding to do. I'm going to, of course, I'm going to mow a couple of times between now and then. So it's all good. Hitting the, hitting that summer stride, hitting that summer stride. Yeah. I love the summer stride. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to pull up my vivid choy and my mustard greens because I may let them just go to flower in the garden. Because that brings in, you know, more pollinators bees. And, and bees. bees. Yeah. But right now my lavender is blooming. And I think I'll do a little video on my lavender today and put it on Instagram. So there you my go. My lavender is blooming as well. It's very lovely. Isn't that weird how sometimes we have stuff blooming at the same time? It is. But anyway. it's blooming. It looks pretty nice. It is pretty. Anyway, it is very pretty. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your garden friends? I'm telling you, that's the best way to get the word out, out there still. 
Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links, especially for the books. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission, and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye.